Welcome to Common Sense Leadership Influencer Podcast with our host, Dr. L.D. Bennett. Common Sense Leadership is proud to celebrate six months of podcasting with purpose. We are so proud to have brought to you the wisdom, practical experience, and innovative perspectives of our 35 phenomenal thought leaders. Their unique perspectives, provocative insights, and pure inspiration has been a gift. May is officially Celebration 6. The number 6 represents balance and outward focus. So, it is in that spirit that we remix four podcasts selected to usher you into spring and our collective new beginning as we embrace positive light. Now, join our host, Dr. L.D. Bennett, and her Celebration 6 guest. Remember to subscribe and ask a friend to subscribe. You'll be glad you did. And welcome to week three of our podcast series, So You Are a High Potential. What next? I am so excited about this topic and about my guest today. Uh, this woman I have known for almost nine years now, uh, but one of the things I do love about her is her depth of knowledge and her breadth of experience around how we prepare ourselves for that next level. And so we've been talking all month about high potentials and what does that mean and what should a high potential individual do and what should a high potential organization do? If I'm an organization and I feel like I'm right there on the cusp and I'm bringing in quality talent, what do I need to do? And my guest today, Terry Nimmons, is the principal and co-founder of Stone Lake Leadership Group. And she is an executive coach and a really good friend of mine. I just think she's adorable. And she is just full of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm, I've asked her on here uh, today to really talk to us about what do I need to do? What kinds of things do I need to, to have in place as I'm looking at my brand and I'm, I'm really managing that uh, well? How do I use that uh, to get to that next level? So, Terry, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Bennett. I'm so happy to be here, LD. I'm very passionate about the topic. Very passionate Good. about this topic. Good. So, Terry, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to ask you one question and you can have at it. Uh, tell us a little bit, if you would, about your leadership journey, how you got to, to this place, and then talk about your work. I know you're super passionate about your work, and I'd really like for you to share that with our audience, if you would, please. All right. Thanks, LD. I have had an unexpected journey, like many folks, with adversity and ups and downs. And I, I think that I was probably a high potential back in the day before this term was known. And I even I couldn't have predicted that I had capabilities that I was able to use in corporate America. I have worked for startups, a tech startup as director of technical resources. I led a web development group back in the day when the internet was new as a knowledge management tool. I'm now an entrepreneur and a parent and along the way have learned so many things. And so what I would point to today that is relevant to you and your audience is that I am a leadership development expert and I have the luxury of working with really dynamic 21st century Com companies that are committed to 21st century talent development. And when I think of high potentials, I can point to a Fortune 100 company I had the pleasure of working with in a multi-year, very expensive, well-funded, global high potential program. And they began to realize right around 2010, something was off. 
That is an organization they no longer knew how to, to identify the talent and they no longer knew how to develop and retain the talent. And so I have been paying close attention to what talented people are saying, because at the end of the day, the programs established by the organizations may or may not tap the talent that is most relevant and scalable and may or may not offer what is needed to accelerate development and growth of that talent pool. That even the concept of high potential still comes out of a biased history of talent development because there's so much sub subjectivity to selecting for high potentials. And so the biases of the people who believe they know the talent exist, the bias of, of professionalism standards, which Stanford's done a lot of research on, and the idea that we can simply tell managers and senior leaders to identify the top talent and the high potentials is very much an old school perspective because it sets them up as the authorities on what is needed. And in many cases, such leaders, very experienced leaders with good intentions are not attuned to what it's gonna to take to help their organizations thrive in the future. So one of the reads I recommend for your audiences, and it's a couple years old now and still highly relevant, it's called 21st Century Talent Spotting. And it's a Harvard Business Review article and it speaks to potential. And just looking at the list of characteristics that they would cite as more important than performance measures are potential characteristics like curiosity, characteristics like uh, relationship skills, uh, the ability to be self-motivated, because those are truly scalable and they're gonna be relevant no matter pandemic in, pandemic out, work from home, work at the office. So I think the pandemic has really pointed us to the need to separate high potential from performance. Since we no longer really know what we mean by performance and often the people selecting the talent don't know how to develop even a top performer into a leader who is relevant, scalable into the future. Now, what are some of your reactions to that or how does that land on oh, you? Oh my gosh, I, I'm sitting here enthralled because I love what you're talking about. Uh, my first guest, um, Dr. Roger Pierman talked about some of the same things is that we are not really in, in the best position sometimes to distinguish between high performers and high potentials. And I love what you just talked about. What I'd like for you to talk about now, uh, if you would, uh, Terry, is to talk about what are some of the things, uh, some of the ways I should say, excuse me, a high potential would show up? How would that person show up in an organization? Ideally, and I will, I'll shift over to high potential because often, for instance, in my work, leadership potential doesn't necessarily tie to top performer. You could be a top performer in your vertical. You could be a subject matter expert who doesn't have the emotional intelligence and capacity to grow beyond the vertical. And so on the organization side, I would be looking for people who speak um, the language of strategy and vision. I would be noticing the people who can move beyond the status update date of the project to linking the project work to what the business does and where the industry's going. And younger and younger talent are being taught strategic thinking. They're being taught to have a global perspective. 
And you have to be prepared for the package to not look like you expect. You have to be prepared for a 20 something potentially to bring more to a post pandemic uh, strategy in the business than your most experienced engineer, finance person. And so the organization has to be attuned to one, looking for people who are already demonstrating leadership capability, two, broadening their personal network. If I'm a senior leader and I'm surrounded by people who look like me, or I only have real relationships with people who are one or two levels below, there's a ton of amazing talent out there that I'm never in touch with. And so breaking out of the chain of command, setting the relationships, really inviting yourself to BRG meetings, sitting down and having conversations with people who are closest to the work or talk to people in the latest project. I had the experience LD of managing a web development group and I didn't have the technical background. And if, if I didn't have the wherewithal to go out and talk to the programmers, I wouldn't have understood the product and I certainly wouldn't have understood the talent required to stand up what was our first large internet initiative. So to think that you can go to HR or sit in your office and identify potential is naive and it's narrow. Now, if I'm the person who wants to be recognized and this helps us shift into brand, be intentional about how you show up, be intentional. And I'm uh, recently working with a global group, um, worked this year with two large, large scale, high potential programs. And the feedback from the senior leaders was, when we meet with folks, particularly once we went work from home, they seem tentative. They don't seem to have a point of view. Um, they don't ask questions. And so my message to the, my cohort was lean into the interaction. Lean into the interaction, have questions ready, have the thumbnail such that you seem engaged behind your eyes. Speak the language of strategy. Uh, there's uh, almost a feeling that, well, the people who speak strategy and vision and innovation collaboration are at the very tops of our organization. Nothing could be further from the truth. The people who know how to use the collaboration tools, the people who know how to think in ways that senior executives may or may not be practiced at are the people who are younger and less experienced. And in fact, the article I mentioned early says, uh, the experience is overrated. We've got to stop looking at experience as a key indicator of who's gonna take us into the future. And I would even suggest that as early as internship or first position in an organization, begin to manage your brand. Be intentional about showing up in a way that demonstrates potential. You're not gonna be the smartest person in the room around the core business because you don't have that experience. You can be a person though who asks a question in every meeting. You can be a person who shares a resource that shows the evidence of your thinking, a TED talk, an article. You can ask for time with somebody with whom you'd like to have a, a powerful conversation about the organization. Don't make others work to get to know you. And I call that accelerate speed of connection. Don't make people work to get to know you. Nobody has the time to figure out how amazing you are. And uh, of course, <laughs> there's always that self-consciousness we carry if we're a minority, woman, person of color, of Asian descent, that 
talking to that senior white leader, and let's just go there, often at the tops of organizations today, in spite of how diverse the organization may be, it's white male baby boomer dominated at the top. And there's a feeling of, I have to earn my way to a certain place to show what I'm capable of. No, absolutely not. Show it off <clears throat> and show it in every touch point and interaction you have. Even when someone says, oh, what do you do in your role? Don't fall into the trap of saying what you do in the role. Speak to your capabilities, speak to your impact, speak to what you love about your work. And then of course, as you progress through career, and this is something you and I have talked about many times, there's really a place where if you don't expand beyond that vertical, if you don't expand beyond being a super doer, we'll find someone else to manage you. Your head's down in the work, you're hardworking, you're the subject matter expert, oh, they couldn't do without you. Meanwhile, you have the potential to go further, you haven't invested in that. You haven't practiced extending relationships out of the vertical. You're all about getting the work done. And nobody knows that you do have a vision for the organization. No one knows that you can hold your own at, the, at a strategy discussion because they see you as a super doer head down in the work. And that's a trap. And often very smart people and uh, people who have been taught you have to work twice as hard to get as far, let's say, as white people, it's a trap because there's very little correlation in 21st century career development between hard work and getting the opportunities you deserve. Oh my gosh, that was deep. And thank you for taking us there. Um, you said sure. something um, that I really want to, to have you noodle out a little bit more. When you talked about okay. uh, the impact of this pandemic and how post-pandemic uh, office work is, is shifting. So talk about it from the other angle. And you know, you and I've been in, involved in conversations where people are saying, and the research backs this up, where many women are saying, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I really want to stay on this track. Now that I'm in the pandemic, I'm going through some things. I enjoy being home with my kids. Uh, I don't know if I want to re-enter the workforce. What does, from an organizational standpoint, what does an organization do to either retrain, uh, to retain, uh, to attract, uh, to make sure that that talent doesn't leave the organization? You don't want a brain drain. And so what does an organization do to prepare for that and to make sure that they have positioned themselves to make sure that they are ready for that next wave, the next century, the next part of the century, and how we can maintain that competitive advantage. Thank you. Well, I'll speak from research, which is one of my sweet spots, as you know. I, I'm keeping up every day with what's happening and looking ahead. And women are going to find themselves in the unfortunate position of being left behind in certain organizations if they don't take action. So let's begin there. So let's say you're a woman or a parent and you're ready for a lifestyle change and your organization is stuck in that 20th century mindset, when we get back to normal, when we bring you back to the office. Uh, I would say to the organizations who are leading women, now's the time because you've already lost some women. You've already lost some, they're emotionally, they're checked out, they're shopping, their resumes on LinkedIn, they're realizing the importance of having the flexibility that they have or for women who are not in a great situation, the flexibility is required. It's not even a luxury. 
they're realizing now a partner lost a job or the family situation has changed and I'm not gonna be getting on the train again and commuting an hour. I'm not gonna be driving and I live in the DC area. I'm not gonna be driving that hour and a half each way in traffic. So I would say to the organizations, don't consider this an HR project. This isn't on HR. This is about the culture of the organization. And it's about for too long not hearing what women and many of the talented people have been saying for a long time that this is not an acceptable life for me. I cannot continue to work and give myself to the organization the way I have. And recognize that putting strategies out there now or putting out feelers for strategies will allow you to, to maybe to get a jump start on the, what I think is gonna be an avalanche of people opting out of going back to the office when it happens. And so some of that might look like investment in the best technology to work virtually. Budget, so people, what people have to work from home. Talk to your people one-on-one. -on -one. Do you have what you need? What can we do to create the best experience for you working from home? I'd also think that um, you might need to stand up a group, stand up, uh, like, like if you were rolling out a brand new software, a huge technology project. You'd have this cross-functional, multi-purpose group of people around that strategy. You could embrace it in the same way. One of those global groups of high potentials I'm working with now, um, they're, they're just talking openly in the meetings about how, you know, they don't plan to ever go back to work in the same way they did. And, and they work for a very traditional financial services organization and from their perspective, seeing what's possible virtually, they can't imagine why the organization would want them to come back into the office. So obviously each part of the country is different. Uh, again, in the DC area, traffic is a big consideration and my local customers are saying, I'll never again put myself in the position of having to, to commute, to be stuck, to be sitting on the beltway. Uh, and then in my more uh, suburban areas where they have Verizon Fios, the answer is I'm doing everything I could do at work from my home. So I don't have an exact answer. I would say that now is the time because minds are made up. People have already decided. And so if you're like Google, I know Google at, on August said, okay, we're not gonna be back into the office until July of 2021. Proactive thinking ahead. I guarantee you they're using the time now to talk to employees, understand what, what could work look like going into 2022. And most organizations are not that proactive. They're inching along quarter by quarter. Oh, we might bring you back in January. No, now it looks like we might bring you back in April. What is that? That's a recipe for erosion of loyalty. That does not support retention and, um, it, you know, it's revolutionized our work, LD. You know, it's changed how we connect with customers. And if we don't keep up, uh, we will have the same issues. So I think I'm probably not an expert on that, but that, that's just what I have to offer from today. You're as close of an expert as I would like, you know, so that, that worked oh, out really okay. well. So thank you for that. Um, listen, I, I want I want to, yeah, you know, you know how I feel about you. Come on. Um, one of the things I want to do, and I know we're going to wrap this up, but what I'd like for you to do is if you were to, if you were speaking to, uh, which you are a bunch of high potentials, 
what would be a word of advice that you would give them as a call to action while we're in the pandemic, while we're heading into the holidays, as we have some time, some downtime to start thinking and maybe noodling on what's next and how do I show up? What advice would you give them? And then what advice as a call to action would you give to an organization? Again, thinking about not only are we in the pandemic, but we're also heading into the holiday season where people are, are not working mm -hmm. as hard and there a lot of people are taking some time off. What would you say to those two groups? Okay, so I would say to high potentials, define the term in your own words and in your own heart. What is your potential? And then don't make us work to get to understand what it is. Articulate it. And I sometimes talk about the B, a shot of B3. Be intentional. Show up in ways that reflect who you are and what you bring. It's no one else's job to draw you out. It's no one else's job to notice what you bring to the table. The second is be informed. And by that, I mean, know your market value, know what are going to be the relevant uh, capabilities and skills, not just at your organization, but broadly, broadly in the marketplace. What is the value of what you're capable of doing? And then the third is be inspired. This is not a time to be talking about how hard it is. This is not a time to show up in the thumbnail, looking downtrodden and weary and not engaged because everything that you telegraph becomes sticky. That's the thing about brand. It's the stickiness of all the data points we have about one another that create other people's feeling about us. So be intentional in how you show up. And if that means getting a coach, listening to these podcasts, thinking about getting feedback on, on what is it like to, to be in a relationship with you at work, be intentional, be informed, keep up with the industry. Uh, I use Flipboard as my newsfeed and I flip through a hundred articles a day. And I just notice what are people talking about? What's out there? What's it important for me to know to be effective at, as, at what I do? Be informed about uh, changes in the organization. Are there organizational changes coming? Are there reorgs? What's happening in the departments where you can't walk by somebody anymore and hear what's going on in sales and marketing? Do some outreach. That's how you stay informed. And then finally, be inspired. Check yourself. If the pandemic and you may have lost someone, terrible things are happening in, at this time based on this illness, then now may not be the time to go on this journey. Get your emotional center. When you truly can project real energy and engagement, then bam, put that package together and take it to market. Organizations, I will say to you now that you are losing your best talent through lack of connection. I'm amazed how much this comes up over and over and over. Head down in the work, here's a Zoom meeting, we've got, or WebEx, or here are your marching orders, or we've got Microsoft Project. We're tracking the work and we're not tracking the people. And it is the people and the feeling they have about each other that binds them to the organization. And so even taking time off at the end of the year and just saying, we're gonna have office hours and we just wanna know how people are doing in the pandemic and just host some open WebEx hours or some open Zoom hours. Just listen, invite people in to talk with you about how it is for them so that you're operating from real data about real people. 
And if you believe that there are certain people who are of exceptional potential, suggest to them that they do some personal brand work. Try to start to, to seed your organization with people who are committed to their own personal brand. I can tell you, LD, I see organizations all the time making the wrong talent decisions. And often it's because they don't know where the talent is. Uh, they don't know how to access the capabilities that they want to pull together to execute strategies. They say that 70 to 80% of strategic initiatives fail. And when you get under it, it's the people part of it. And so imagine now work from home, disconnection, disruption. Imagine how many strategies, long-term strategies are at stake because we're not taking care of the people. So that would be my message. And I know you'll have other folks on talking about this topic. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to be with you. And I'm thrilled that you're standing something up in the year of the pandemic, that 2020 is the year of common sense leadership. And I applaud you and respect you for everything you've done. I'd like to, to uh, share a small story about networking before I go, if I may, LD. Yes, please. You know, I there's an exercise in personal brand and executive coaching I do where I invite people to draw a circle of their six most important relationships to their personal and professional success. And then we do analysis of the diversity of it. And not surprisingly, most of us have networks of people we feel safe with. And often those are people who look like us. The second tier of relationships though, are what I call a strategic network. The strategic network is a set of intentional relationships that inform and support you. So as we go into 2021, begin to think about what is a set of relationships, maybe six relationships that I can deepen or initiate that will inform my goals in the organization for 2021 and support me in promoting my personal brand or elevating my skills or mentoring or sponsorship. And the way this really came together for me was um, I'm not a natural joiner and I'm an introvert. But a little over 10 years ago, as you know, I had a breast cancer diagnosis. And the day of the diagnosis and the pathology results, one of the first things that uh, George Washington Hospital did was assign me to a survivor group. And I'm not a, I mean, I'm not a person who's ordinarily comfortable with that. However, my sister had died of breast cancer 20 years earlier. And even then it was known that people in survivor groups for breast cancer live longer. So they assigned me to a group of young, primarily white women in D who lived in DC and who were unfortunately trying to start families and got the diagnosis while going through fertility. I was a suburban established person with a married person with an eight year old living out, living that suburban life. And so on the surface, the women had very little in common with me. And I would drive to DC and meet with them. Well, I will tell you that <laughs> That group was uh, a, a life force for me. We would go to the most expensive restaurants in DC and we would say, we're breast cancer patients. Could we have your best table and go ahead and comp that champagne? I mean, we, theater, we did everything. I mean, we we're just like, hey, we are a breast cancer support group. 
what do you want to do for us? But it was an amazing time. But there was always a moment, LD, when somebody would take me in the corner and they might say, let me look at your scars. Let me tell you something you can put on your radiation scars. Or somebody else would, I could take someone in the corner and say, how are you doing with intimacy? Here's how my husband and I are working through it. Or someone else would say, oh, you're not getting along with your oncologist. Here's how I handled it. There's a way in which those women had information that only people going through it had. I could not have accessed that information from anyone else in my life. And so we're no longer a really close group. We've lost a few members. I've you know, gone on in my life, they've gone on. And so we're not asking you in the strategic network to sign on to love people for the rest of your life. We're not asking you to have, make permanent relationships. We are saying that if you really wanna leverage your potential, figure out right now, what is the set of relationships, people who can uniquely inform and support you right now? and go after those relationships. I've seen it work, I've lived it, I believed it, and uh, anything an organization can do to foster those kind of relationships will absolutely serve the top talent within the companies. So that's my story. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Terry. Not only for your knowledge, but also for sharing that story. And I am so grateful to have you as a good friend uh, we didn't, I didn't mention this earlier, but we worked together with the Women in Cable Telecommunications Program, the Betsy Magnus uh, Leadership Institute. And I just love working with you and just really Thank gleaning you. from you. I, you're in my strategic network because I learned so much from you. And I do appreciate you sharing this with our audience. I'm gonna have you back on, so uh, make sure you save a spot on your calendar for me. So, and, and so guys, I wanna thank my guest, uh, Terry Nimmons for being on with us. As you know, she is the co-founder of Stone Lake Leadership. And in on our website, you will find a link to her LinkedIn page. We'd love for you to go in, connect with her. And there will also be some information about uh, some of the articles that she talked about she has a wealth of information there and would like for you to continue that relationship with our guest, Terry. Terry, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next thank time. You. Hey, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you, LD. Thanks for tuning in and for supporting me. I don't take your support for granted. I am both grateful and humbled. Join us next week for another episode. And remember to subscribe and ask others to subscribe. Go to our website at commonsenseleadership.org for more detail. Thank you and have a great day. This podcast and omni-channel experience is brought to you by the Walter Cates Foundation, the entertainment and telecommunication industry's leading national foundation dedicated to advocacy around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we are proud to have them as our signature partner. We are very grateful for their generosity and for their support. To learn more, visit waltercates.org. Thank you for joining Common Sense Leadership Podcast with your host, Dr. L.D. Bennett. Visit our website, commonsenseleadership.org for more details. See you next week.